Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back by no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in Elizabeth Park in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions. It's brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. We're doing things differently today. I'm Buck Rising, by the way. How we doing? Nice to be back with you. Happy Tuesday. We're doing things differently. We're going to kind of expand the conversation. I'm tired of yammering at you people. I'm tired of talking at my wall about things that I have to get myself up for. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my friends in to make me sound competent. I'm going to bring different people who are associated with your favorite sports teams in to the conversation. We're going to let you into our conversation, and we're going to do that with a different group of people every week. So we are starting things off with the less coked-out-looking half of A to Z Sports, one of my bosses, Austin Stanley, at AustinStanley81 on Twitter. Hello, friend. Yeah, well, you said bring my friends into this, and I was like, friends and boss. <laughs> <laughs> I get reminded well, by I like, that. I like many hats. I'm like the accounting part of A to Z Sports. I'm the bookkeeper, and I'm also boss and friend. I, I'll take both. I'll take all of those things. See, it's just, you, there was not a needed flex. Meanwhile, <laughs> we have for comedic relief, Zebo Football and Other F-Words podcast, uh, somebody who was very offended by my Jonah Hill comparison earlier in the week. You are dressed so appropriately for this podcast. You have brought us all Trulies, uh, which is the most exciting part of your visit. Thank you for coming. You don't think the shirt, uh, this is Zebo, by the way, or Zach, uh, you don't think the shirt do you need, that do says you, Sunday for the tits? Is that is that what you do on your podcast? Do you have to say, this is Zebo, by the way? Well, I don't After think you I actually have, introduced, did you? I did, did you say my name? I did say your name. Oh, well, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Thank you for coming. But you do fun. have a lovely house. Yeah. I mean, I got the tour. Yeah. It's really nice. It's got, very, a, got a gas range uh, stovetop. It's very nice. You'll it's never use it. At the at this moment. Um, yeah. I'm waiting on a TV so I can watch sports down here like a normal person, and we can make this a little more of a professional setup, but it works for now. Uh, meanwhile, what we're going to do today is we're going to throw to an interview with Marty Smith. You know him from ESPN. He is one of the correspondents on college game day, he spends his days uh, cliff diving with Nick Saban and Tim Tebow and interviewing Ronaldo in China. We are going to discuss all of those things as well as something that Marty said about Tennessee and Alabama. It's why these two uh, fine gentlemen, if you would like to call them that, join me here today because Austin is blinded by orange colored glasses and Zebo has been a just at an Alabama sycophant uh, since near birth. And so we're going to debate and discuss and learn more about the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry. We will do that after we speak with Marty Smith. 
Back here on the 615 Sessions, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising, very pleased to be joined by Marty Smith. You know him from ESPN. He's all he's just come off the Levitard, Levitard show. He's a correspondent for the Death Star of a television program that is College Game Day. Of course, the Marty Smith's America podcast at Marty Smith ESPN on Twitter, titles, titles, etc. etc. Marty, appreciate you stopping by, brother. Pleasure mine, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. I'm very excited to talk about your book, Never Settle, Sports Family and the American Soul. It is available the very same day that you are hearing this podcast, Tuesday, August the 6th. Maybe you listen to Marty on the way to work Tuesday. Maybe you pick up a copy of Never Settle on the way home. I really, really recommend it, and I would not do so if I didn't believe in the contents of that book that we will discuss here shortly, uh, but I want to start with the actual writing of the book, Marty, because it's for people who don't do it regularly and for people who even do do it regularly, like writing is a bit of a suffering and to write a book is an undertaking that I can't even begin to imagine. How difficult was the process for you? It was a unique process, certainly. Um, I wrote every word myself and when I had my initial meeting with 12 books, my publisher out of New York there was some conversation about who might write the book. And I kind of looked over at my agent, like what the hell are they talking about? I'm writing this thing. And ultimately I did. And I had a great, great editor, great teacher in Sean Desmond at 12 and off we went, but I took a little bit different approach. Most books typically build chapter upon chapter towards some sort of climax. It's this age old philosophy that's been successful forever, but I wrote a record album. I made the decision that I wanted to write a series of of pieces that can stand alone and be extremely impactful by themselves. However, if done well, when strung together, they take you on a thematic journey, just like a record does. And that thematic journey for me was kind of reconnecting sports family and how all of that is intertwined into who we are as Americans. And I've been so blessed to have the opportunity to interview folks like Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney or Tiger Woods or Cristiano Ronaldo, et cetera, and how those people have impacted me. We're all pieces of clay. Every single moment in our lives, every single relationship kind of pinches at that clay and remolds the person that we will be. And I hope that it connects with people. I believe it will. I think it's very relatable, and it's definitely very vulnerable. I write a lot about my own family, how I grew up, where I grew up, and the impact that that, that, I, that I still carry that with me even still. The ability to tell stories, Marty, I mean, it's something that you're you're clearly an expert at in, in both the telling of your own story and some of the names that you just mentioned. I mean, Rick, Rick Flair is in there. Levitard, uh, who, who is somebody, is a little bit of a personal hero for me for so many reasons beyond sports about his, his parents' exile from Cuba and their kind of journey to the United States and what what freedom represents, I found that to be particularly striking. But of all these all these names that we know and are in a little bit of awe of from from the sports perspective, the thing that really really hit with me the most, and I think the majority of people who will read Never Settle, is your relationship with Olivia Quigley. And I don't want you to give the story mm-hmm. away because we want people to check it out. But what can you tell the audience about how Olivia came to be a part of your life? It's been interesting to me, Buck, because I I knew that was a very important story. It was one of the most important that I've ever told personally. But I 
I can tell based on the folks that have interviewed me about the book that that's going to end up being the the foundation piece. Everybody wants to, to discuss Olivia. Oh, Amos. Marty, it broke my heart and at the same time made me so happy reading it just because of, I mean, the joy that, that Olivia just clearly exudes was represented so well in the book. It's why I enjoyed the book so much, really, on the whole, honestly. Thank you. I, uh, I'm just blessed to have gotten to meet her. She made me a better man. And she was a Special Olympics athlete. I met her in 2015. She had autism. And uh, I saw her seated all alone at the track stadium at the University of California, Riverside. I walked over and said hello. And in that moment, my entire life changed. Uh, Olivia had stage four breast cancer. And she became this global movement. Uh, I won't give it away because I want everybody to read it. The depth which with which the story needs to be told, there isn't really time for here. But she... Um, I've never met anybody like her. I mean, her mother, Judy, said it best to me that, that the, the beauty and simplicity adage. Olivia's perspective on life was so simple and therefore so profound. And she was, uh, she was one of those landmark moments for me as a man that made me a better man. Yeah, I mean, I can totally, I, I can't totally understand it. We went through a little bit of a, a, of a fundraising effort. Mike Vrabel, the ten, Tennessee Titans head coach, the Special Olympics yep. are, a, are a cause and, and a group of individuals who is really, really clearly very near and dear to his heart. And so we, I, I'm somebody who covers the Titans on a daily basis. I'm heading over to practice here in a little bit after this, but the media and and Vrabel, we got together and we we did a polar plunge. It was my first time being a part of the effort. It's something that Vrabel does on an annual basis for the Special Olympics of Tennessee. And just to meet some of those athletes, Marty, like that's that's not something you do an excellent job of describing it in the book. Just kind of what they go through and and what you're saying about how a simple outlook on life can be so incredibly profound. That's a great way to put it. Um, but one of the more unique experiences I've ever had, and it's it's really crazy how how much these these people can touch you uh just unintentionally well it's it's really fundamental because if if you're someone who has been told you can't you'll never you're not good enough long enough and then you have the opportunity to prove that you can there's so many layers of emotion in that and not just for the athlete, but for every single person who's ever supported the athlete. And we took the position at ESPN that we were going to cover this like they're, they're like an athletic event. And we were all moved and have continued to be moved by their stories, by their ability to overcome, by their pure joy. And I adore it. And again, Olivia's story is going to really resonate with a lot of people. The way that the way that she operated and everything that she did for me, and and what an inspiration she was a global inspiration. Make sure you check that out in Never Settle Sports Family and the American Soul. It is available uh, as you're hearing this podcast Tuesday, August the sixth. Make sure you pick up your copy. I. 
you've gotten the opportunity, Marty, ever since you kind of, I mean, you've been on the scene for a while now, but it seems lately over the past couple of years, you've made a lot more waves in the, in the level of, of people throughout sports or throughout music or just kind of the relationships that you've been able to build because you are, you are incredibly unique. And I find that to be such a shame because everybody should have more fun doing these kinds of jobs, Marty. And you just kind of, you exude this energy that's, that's really unlike anything else on sports television. When you, when you get to these, like Cristiano Ronaldo, I know as somebody you've had the opportunity to spend some time with, when you get around these these global superstars, these musicians, I know Eric Church is somebody who's close with you. How who's the most interesting person that you've kind of been able to peel the layers back on? Oh man, I know that's a lot. Oh, that's, I mean, you've done a lot, Marty. Like I'm sitting here, I'm fanboying a little bit, but it's just because I'm I'm really I really respect the time and the effort it takes to put in uh, to kind of fundamentally understand these people who are put in front of you, how they became the person that you are, that they are uh, when you're profiling. Well, that's what I care. That's what I care about. Uh, I care so much about being able to humanize these sports figures or, or entertainers or whatnot that we all watch every day and admire every day. And maybe their work inspires us each day. And I've been afforded that amazing opportunity by ESPN and by other, other folks to have that, that, that chance and it being with Ronaldo was interesting. I mean, he's, I, I, I literally saw young ladies fall out and faint. Like I, I was with the Beatles, like <laughs> this man is so famous. It's truly unbelievable, but we were, we just treat him like dudes. And I don't think that happens very often in their lives, especially someone like him. And the first four, first 10 seconds that I met him, we had him cracking up because we were in, shanghai china and it was 109 degrees outside and he walks out on this veranda where we were going to do the interview and it's just too hot and and i have my camera guy fire up his camera and i said folks it's the great pleasure of my life to interview the most famous athlete on the planet so international soccer icon cristiano ronaldo and we were going and i look at him and i said brother we were going to do this interview out here with the gorgeous cityscape behind us here at the bun but it's 109 degrees to hell with that. And he just started laughing his tail off. <laughs> and from there, we got 50 minutes with him and generally disarmed in chatting with us because that's just kind of the approach that we take. You, If you ask open-ended questions that are fair and let someone else tell you their story, then it's a bit liberating for them to do that oftentimes. And... I've, I learned all that on the fly. That's a testament to ESPN. I got to learn this craft because they gave me the opportunity to do it. Well, and it kind of, le- and I know you only have a little bit of time, Marty, so I won't keep you too long, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the inside baseball of it. D- does the human interest, curiosity, does that, is that something that comes to you naturally? Or is that yeah. something that you and ESPN and, and, and however however long you've been doing this over the course of your career, is that something that's had to been had to have been refined? Oh, it's definitely been refined. I used to be too scared to ask anything. When I first got out of college, I was like terrified to talk to the William Byrd high school football coach. And I'll be honest with you, Marty, I'm still kind of scared of Mike Vrabel. 
Don't be. He's a dude. <laughs> um, look, if you if you take the time to research and 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 you're prepared, that is especially when you're dealing with guys like Saban or or folks like that, where their time variable, their time is so precious. If they see that you're prepared and passionate, then that will be reciprocated. That's just that's the way we're wired as human beings. Sure. And uh, now I just don't I don't feel that, and I'm very fortunate that I don't feel that. And um, it was definitely honed. I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but there were people that believed in me, and because of those people, I am I'm here now and had this opportunity to write Never Settle. Uh. I have to ask you a Vols question on the way out the door because the gnashing of teeth that is going on in my mentions uh, will only only increase if I don't ask somebody whose expertise and whose background is in college football something about the precious Tennessee Volunteers. So Philip Fulmer is somebody I know you've mm-hmm. spent a little bit of time with. Your impressions of how he's starting to change things at UT? I think he. I mean, look, the basketball team is – Really good. Coach Barnes has done a phenomenal job, uh, in my estimation. By all by all measures, they had a really good chance to go further than they did. It came down to a you know a late late game call. Phenomenal year. Football team still has a lot of work to do, but Jeremy's only been there one year, and I I I think that you have to give time. I, I don't mean to go on the side, but for example, look at Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Kentucky gave Mark Stoops time. He won 10 games last year. But it took a lot of six-win years to get there. And Jeremy just happens to be in a very difficult conference and always play the standard in that conference every year. I mean, they play Bama every year. It's one of the great rivalries in college football. So you got to give them time. That's the most important element. And I know with a fan base like Tennessee that expects so much because their history is so rich. That there's not a lot of patience there. I understand the why, but if they can if they can be patient and let him get some players in there, which he's doing, then they're going to have a little better shot. Now Georgia's still the the best team in the East. Florida's better, but and Tennessee's not there yet. They're just not. But I think that they have a really they beat Auburn last year. Would you have bet that made that bet last year? Oh Would, God, no! Are you kidding me, Marty? No way in hell, man. No. So I, I look. I like Jeremy, the no nonsense guy, Saban pedigree, Saban tree, just like half of the SEC is. Honestly, though, but just give him time, man. Yeah, I, I think I think that that could be said across sports. Is just give it a little more time. Like it doesn't have to be microwave results. Anyway, Marty Smith, the book is never settled. Sports Family and the American Soul. It is available as you are hearing this podcast on Tuesday, August the 6th. Make sure you check out Marty Smith's America podcast as part of our friends over at the Levitard and Friends Podcast Network. We've talked to Mina Kimes, we've talked to Dominique Foxworth. All of the Levitard people are wonderful with their time here with us on A to Z Sports. Check him out this college football season. He's everywhere on TV and follow him at Marty Smith ESPN. A great pleasure, Marty. Thank you for stopping by. Really appreciate it, Buck. Thank you, brother. Be well. Okay. Fantastic work by Marty. Very well-researched, very thought out. I know Zach likes to make fun of his hair. Our Zach, Zach Bingham. Zach Bingham, yes. Zach Bingham. We can talk talk shit about him because he's not here. 
This is well, just he, like Austin Buck and Zach yeah. again, so which is fun. Well, yeah. he's also like the least popular Zach in all of Titan Sports Media. One hundred percent. Things was was on the poll. Do we, do we think? Since we're going here, we'll talk about Tennessee Alabama in a minute. Great interview by Marty Smith. Great interview by me. Humble brag. Uh, do we think that Zach's Titans media approval ratings that were done by Music City Miracles? Do we think that he was truly hurt by them? Because no. he acted like he was not. Absolutely not. That's disappointing. Absolutely not. <laughs> I think he probably like framed it and hangs it up like he's proud to be disliked. <laughs> That's the kind of feeling I got. Like he knows if he, he he's going to put it up on his mantle and be like, "That's it, fifty eight percent." There it is. That is. What he ended up uh, I think I don't, I don't know what he ended up at. I know when I, I voted, he was like twenty eight percent. Did you get him up to thirty? Because when I saw it, it was thirty percent. Yeah, Austin was taking great joy in tracking how much further and further Zach's approval rating was dropping. Well, no, I wanted it to be above fifty for sure. But at first, when well, yeah, because then it's affecting the business. Yeah, and we gotta, when they got to reevaluate, when they put out the whole graphic of all the media people in that one picture. Um, I thought me and Zach would be graded and pulled together. I yes. thought it would just be like an A to Z thing because they took the picture of us together. But I, I think I finished at like either 78 or 80, somewhere in there. But that's because my mom helped a lot on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, he, so normally, no, like it, without that's awesome because my mom. I don't want my mom to ever hear anything I do <laughs> because without that, I would probably be around like it knocked me down like eight to ten percent. You, so to let people behind the scenes, and I swear we're going to talk about college football here in a second. To let people behind the scenes, we work for and Austin co-runs a social media company. It is powered in great part by the people listening to this podcast and also the people who exist on Titans and Vols and Preds Facebook. Yes. They will often send friend requests. Yes. And you are all lovely people. (laughs) And I think the world of you. But we are not going to be Facebook friends. It's just, I, I can't. I can't deal with it. Austin accepts everyone. And so every time no. he shares... No, no, no. No, be honest. It's, it's okay. I mean, things have changed a little bit because... <laughs> have you pared down in your life? Well, you know, I, I've been... Bummed. Regardless, Austin I, shares things to, to his timeline, yes, and it's yeah. all people that love Austin. That's true. My, so now he is, he is, he has fixed the, the Titans media poll rankings... With his version of Russian bots, all of these people who exist right. on the internet. Yeah. We're screwed on Facebook because uh, I deleted my Facebook account. Yes. And then 30 days later, we went to this podcast conference and everybody's like, oh, well, you got to be on Facebook. got to be on Facebook. Well, I solely run the Twitter account. Mm-hmm. So, At Average Pod. Yeah. So I went to <laughs> Facebook and I was doing the little thing to fill it out. And I put the F words pod profile on there and I started friending people. Well... I guess all the people that I was friending reported me or something, thinking I was a fake account. And uh, you are a fake account. Yeah, you're so, an actual. You're an actual bot. So you're yeah. making an F word pods Facebook right. profile yeah. instead of a page. Yeah. So, uh, well, I was making my own Facebook oh, profile or Facebook profile again because I mean it already passed and everything was deleted. I they won't let me back on. I've sent them my driver's license five <laughs> times, and they still will not let me on. So fa- Facebook is just dead to us. It really is delightful the the thought of you and Lebowski waddling around a 
podcast press conference, I believe, at the Music City Center. Yeah. Was it? And did you? What did you learn? I believe there's a newsletter. There's a Patreon. Yeah. There's so all far, kinds every of new aspects to the F word pod. So far, everything that we've uh, learned and put into action has not helped at all. Okay. Very good. <laughs> very it good. It takes time. It, it does. Takes time. But Is you it, know what did work? What the podcast convention that took your money? Yes, it did. <laughs> it did. We we did learn that there was a uh, so everybody kind of when you stand up and ask a question, they have they say how many followers do you have or listeners do you have and this one woman she stands and up and then they, they decide go, to take their, your question yeah, based on how few <laughs> or how many followers sit down and, yeah. and, she, <laughs> and she goes uh, I have 10,000 listeners this woman did and, and they go oh what's your podcast about mermaids Yo, yeah I, I absolutely <laughs> believe it <laughs> and, I'm, and me and Lebowski are sitting there thinking the fuck are we doing? <laughs> because are we going to talk about mermaids? That's exactly right. Yeah. You, you have to you have to play to the people. Yeah, and uh, and sometimes the people find whatever uh, whatever you have poured your heart and your soul into the thing that you are most passionate about, and you are trying to share with them your message. They would prefer to hear about mermaids. Yeah, and I still love you anyway. It's okay. I appreciate you. Just while. After, maybe before, whenever you would like, listen to us before you get to your Mermaid podcast, and all is right in the world. Mermaid and other M-words coming to you. (laughs) Do you know what it's called? Spinoff coming soon. I should tell my wife. (laughs) I I, I don't remember. uh, Lebowski may remember, because it really stuck in his mind. Like, that was a thing that, like, really just, like, shot him in the heart. He wouldn't let it go for, like, the whole weekend. You can make a podcast about... Anything, as long as you know your audience, you're trying to reach, and you hit them, and they'll be there. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's crazy. So, speaking of audiences, Tennessee and Alabama. Marty Smith, when we got his thoughts on the job that Phil Fulmer is doing at Tennessee to kind of direct things back to what Tennessee used to be, uh, he mentioned Tennessee and Alabama as one of the better rivalries in the sport of college football. Uh, Zach Zebo is disgusting in his homerism for Alabama. Austin is blinded by orange-colored glasses, as we mentioned at the top. And so I figured it best to bring both of you together to discuss how you feel about the present state of the Tennessee and Alabama rivalry and like what it means to you guys personally. Because the, these kind of things are lost on me. This is a tribalism in the SEC that I don't understand. So I go to you, your expertise. I'm probably going to regret it. but <laughs> You definitely will, 100%. I, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already fearing what's going to pour out of your mouth. That's why I brought you tequila to ease the, uh, ease the pain. <laughs> tequila and Drulies, yeah. I'm actually hammered. <laughs> All right. Zebo. Yes. Give me, your, give me your, your, your passionate take on the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry. I don't think there is one anymore. There you go. I mean, to be to be completely honest, Tennessee's got a worry worry about LSU, Auburn, and Georgia every year. Now, I personally, there's been a lot of uh, coaches and assistants that have left Alabama over the years to and went to be a head coach somewhere else. Um, Kirby Smart was the first one that I really had faith in that came with Nick Saban and left Nick Saban. Kind of like how Vrabel wasn't really part of the Belichick tree, but you kind of had faith that Vrabel was going to do something just because he played under Bill Belichick. But a would, lot of would the, assume that he picked up yeah, something along. Yeah, a lot of the Bill Belichick coaches don't pan out for the most part. And Kirby Smart was the first one. I am still 50-50 on Jeremy Pruitt, very vocal that I really don't know if Jeremy Pruitt 
is going to be the guy long term. Uh, but I think right now, since Butch Jones is gone, Jeremy Pruitt's and the whole fiasco that went, Jeremy Pruitt's probably the best thing to get you out of the mic. He's kind of like the Mike Malarkey. I feel like he's the Mike Malarkey Vols fan. Like he's going to bring you back, and then someone else is going to take you over the hump. And but really, Austin is like clenching. Yeah. His well, feet. I'm just thinking, like, say Vols again. Vols. Vols. Volunteers. This is going to be a hell of a conversation. I'm very excited. See, this is why we yeah. do these things. This is the new 615 sessions. So, yeah. I, I go in and out. That, yeah. it's, it's a... It's a Feels like 98. Okay, yeah. all right. Here's, here's the funny thing that I Your really... rebuttal lost them. I yeah. realized this uh, in Birmingham at SEC Media Days. Because last summer, which was Pruitt's first year, Media Days were in Atlanta. So this is back in Birmingham, which is Alabama everything. And I saw that a lot of Alabama media, a lot of Alabama fans that were there are kind of rooting for Pruitt to succeed at Tennessee because they take ownership of Jeremy Pruitt He's one of as an own. Alabama guy. I'm serious. No. I'm and so I saw a lot of Alabama media, like Jocks, F- Jocks FM is the big Birmingham station. They're mostly Alabama. We were listening to them as we kind of drove out of out of town, hopefully for the last time for media days, because it's coming to Nashville in a couple of years. Uh, but I heard but them. Joe talking. Rex Road says we don't want it. Get out. Yeah, Joe. Well, Joe's got other things to worry about right now with his <laughs> new gig coming soon. Uh, but I, I heard them talking highly of Tennessee. I'm like, this is weird because that, that is weird to me in my because my Bama head. people and Bama media and Bama fans are supposed to make fun of Tennessee, and Tennessee is still very pokeable at this point where you don't have to worry about a bite coming back at you and they're propping up Jeremy Pruitt because Bama people like Pruitt and everybody we talk to down there thinks Pruitt's doing it the right way. Now, is it going to work? I don't know. Do they have offensive linemen that can do anything? That can, can make, they block? Can they block anybody? I have no clue. It's a good starting point. Yeah, but I think they'll block people better than they did block people or tried to block people last year. But I just found that interesting that this summer, Bama people in general kind of like Pruitt. So you said there's no rivalry. I kind of feel the same way. It's just so soft right now. Where me, a kid who grew up in the 90s, I hated everything crimson. I didn't own anything, like any shade of red clothing because I didn't like Alabama. Um, I didn't like... Ravenwood High School, which was my rival there. <laughs> so red was just out because of those two things. So now it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, that's kind of how. I mean, I'm a '90s kid, and I, I Buck, you, you got born. You were born what? '92, '93, '93. I was born '85. I'm assuming '81 because your handle. Say what? You think I'm f- how old? Wow. Well, I, I, I mean, your in, handle says '81 on the end. I was born in 1990. You're in 1990. You just made me. Wow. Am I the oldest one here? Years yeah, older. You're, you're actually old. <laughs> wow. You're actually old. Um, 81 was my football number. But Austin, yeah, okay, gotcha. Austin, this is the first time that he has been overaged, whereas I have looked like I'm 65 for the Well, I was just using the life. context clue of the screen name, so I didn't uh, know the history behind it. was a good thought it. there. Yeah. And Man. much like where the You're, rest you of You almost your... made me 38 years old. <laughs> no, but see, here's where we aired, yeah. because we let Zebo use what is his 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 parallel of a context clue, which is totally misleading and totally misguided (laughs) and takes him often to wrong assumptions. Yeah. 
but no, the, the whole the whole dynamic that you're describing in terms of the way that Alabama fans seem to kind of own Jeremy Pruitt's success. Right. It's the same way, like, I, and we were talking to Marty about this earlier, Nick Saban is very proud of the coaches that he has littered the SEC with. And beaten. And beaten. Every time. But to still, it's a point of pride to say, okay, they are competing with me in the toughest league. I'm here. I'm still dominating. But it's cool to see that what I've done has this much reach. But there's a difference because this is the second Sabanite that Tennessee has had as head coach. Yes. Derek Dooley was this under Saban at LSU, and that didn't stop Bama fans from making fun of that guy. But there's something about Jeremy Pruitt that I think Bama fans, at least right now, where it's early on in his Tennessee career, Bama fans are rooting hard for Pruitt to work out. Do you, do you think it's because the lack of a rivalry has kind of subsided yeah, a little bit? Yeah, there's threat Yes, yeah, so do you like, think that's kind of why, well, you know, Pruitt's not, we're not really scared of UT, Pruitt's, you know, not Yeah, go, go win seven, eight games. Yeah. Ah, sweet, one of those losses is going to be to Bama, so who cares? Right, yeah. like nobody's looking at October 19th this year at, they're, they're playing at Alabama, Tennessee is, and I mean, it's nobody's thinking that's really going to be a game. Well, I'm sure there's probably going. like a handful of, Orange people that are just like well, really think this is the year. Wrong. Like when they when they I did not slight you Vol's Twitter. It was Zebo <laughs> at F Words Pod. Come at when me. Game, no God, it's a hell you don't want. When that game's in Neyland, people will care. Like leading up to it, but after the beatdown, it's like all right, we'll move on to the next whatever game. So, but 2015, I think was the last time that there was an actual like threat from Tennessee. Yeah, uh, and that was. I forget who the DN was, but like Chance Hall, who was a freshman right tackle, gave up a strip sack and Dobbs, you know, fumbled the ball. And that would have been a chance for Tennessee to drive like 75 yards to win, but never really got out of their own end on that one. And then, of course, the uh, Terrence Cody blocked field goal. Yes. Yeah. Win. Terrence Cody. So, the, I mean, that was 2009. Yes. That was 2009. So, 10 years, 10 seasons later, there's been two times where Tennessee has been somewhat threatening to Alabama. I look at it, and it's it's. I mean, I'm fascinated from from an outside perspective by SEC rivalries like this because it's just it's on a level that I don't think anybody outside of the, and I'm I'm one of those people who would laugh at the SEC fans and the commercials when it says it just means more. But you people, and I do mean you people, are legitimately crazy passionate about your teams, and I think it does matter more when Tennessee is competitive with Alabama. I think it does bring a different energy. I think it's it's good for all parties involved in terms of conversation, in terms of the fan bases. I think it makes everybody better to have that exist. Like, do you guys have a particular, I don't, whomever wants to start, but do you guys have a particular Alabama-Tennessee memory that sticks out, like, over the course of you guys watching these games and taking them in? I would say probably you already brought it up, but the 2009 game that really yeah. that really had me going, yeah. and I would say that's probably legit the the last time I was real worried about it. But uh, I agree that I mean competition is best for everybody because I mean Alabama always gets 
the well, they got such a weak ass schedule, and, and I'm not an Alabama fan enough to. No, I'm delusional. And Alabama and Tennessee's non-conference. Yeah, huge. And, and I mean, it is weak. Be. Yeah, yeah. we've be. talked Alabama. about that. Yeah. yeah, and it and I understand it is weaker than other ones, but I mean, we do have big games, but we're also not we're blowing these this competition out like you should. The uh, I think that's I got to a point last year where uh, Lebowski's an Ole Miss fan. And he goes, are you, he, he, his uh, brother went down there and stuff, family, it's big family ties to it. But, uh, the, uh, he's like, are you even worried about this week? No, I I got to the point where I just wasn't worried. And and, and up until the Clemson game, I was just like, okay, we're just going to blow through. And then when we got to Clemson. Do you enjoy that though? Not, not really. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of games last year. Are you having fun as a band fan? to winning. That, that seriously. I mean, I mean, it, I'm, am I having as much fun as I would if maybe the games were more competitive? Probably not. I mean, because some of the best games that I remember, like the Auburn missed field goal where they return it on the Iron Bowl, you know, I think it was the like 2013. Six. Yeah, yeah. The, the kick sick. I mean, yeah, that stings and it's it's dumb, but it was an exciting game. There was a couple times uh, we used to do pub golf uh, all the time, pub crawl, pub yeah. golf, and every time it was LSU-Alabama weekend – and they would be low-scoring games, and but and we may lose. But those are the games I remember just because they were competitive games. So I always remember the Clemson games. I remember all that. So to me, you know, the Vandy game was – I mean, oh it was it was God. fun to rub it into the some one, Vandy the fans' The one faces. thing I remember from the Vandy-Bama game was oh. the kid sitting by himself in the student yeah. section with nobody around him. So that was sad. The memes were hilarious yeah. uh, on Twitter. For me, like uh, the Bama-Tennessee memory – uh, the o- the o- 09 game, the Terrence Cody block kick, I remember that one. I was with a bunch of friends in, um, in uh, where were we at? We were at Augusta. No, we weren't in Augusta. We were in, um, what's the other city down there in Georgia? Southeast, it doesn't matter. But we were down there having a big, big old time, and that happened, and we basically, like the rest of the bar laughed us out because the – kick got blocked it's and we so lost sad. and we were yeah oh we were just, <laughs> just we devastating. were we deserved it because the whole time we thought that the upset was happening over number one yeah uh we were really really obnoxious <laughs> and then the kick got blocked and so they basically laughed us out of the bar so we went and cried our hotel but room. that's the part of the sec though that's like fun yeah. to me like i know you got laughed out of a bar but even if i was ut fan that's a memorable night just because i mean it's the passion is there. No, I mean, but that's this whole SEC thing because now it's become a lot of it. Now I know I, I can't accuse everybody of this, but it's when Bama's in the college football playoff and everybody else is lost and Georgia's sitting at home licking its wounds, and then it becomes well SEC for SEC. You know, no, you're no. Not I think that's dead. It, yeah, I, 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 do I, you? Because yes. I see an awful lot of it. I, still. I think it's it's way okay. less. I think dying. when let's say dying, not oh. dead yet. But yeah. it's, it's going down. The, that's that's what really chaps my ass. I think when everybody SEC. started getting called out on it oh uh, during God. the SEC basketball tournament a few years ago, right. I think it's starting to go less and less because I think people are starting to realize that was pretty stupid. I mean, in my opinion, I mean. I'm not going to root for the Colts to win a Super Bowl if the Titans aren't but in there. But there is like some revenue that kind well, yeah. of ties into it where if the SEC has multiple teams in the playoff, then they're getting more of that revenue shared. It goes throughout to all the different conferences. And so, you know, the, you, like the Vanderbilts and Kentuckys who are historically bad do get a little bump in revenue if the entire conference succeeds. But at I don't some know point, if your average fan knows no, that. Right, right. Like no. I don't think the Vandy Whistler knows that. 
And I think the Vandy Whistler would be a guy that would be going SEC or whistling SEC, however you would do it. I should have I should have tried to get him on the show. I should have tried to have the Vandy Whistler. Well, which one? Because there's two, right? Yeah, one yeah. one's got a van, and the other one has has this. I just can't. I can't even begin to describe how irritating that was. This is an entirely different podcast for another day. <laughs> Point being, I think that like I don't. I don't have any attachment to the Tennessee-Alabama game, but seeing how you guys get up for it, even still, when it's Derrick Henry in the Titans locker room with a cigar the, the Monday after, because, you know, he's still reveling in the fact that Ten- or Alabama, again, just curb-stomped Tem- Tennessee. Or, I mean, whatever the case may be, like, it's fun to see that from an outside view. So I'm, 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 I'm hoping that the rivalry improves over the next couple of years. I don't know if it's physically going to take Nick Saban dying for that to be the case, but I think they will literally have to carry him off on a stretcher from the football field. He's never going to age. Uh, yeah. But I look at it, and I don't know. I just, I'm hopeful. <laughs> well, I just don't know how soon Tennessee can get yeah, Like, back. What's a reasonable time span here? Like, what, what for you, Austin, because you're on the opposite end of this, Like, what is, what is your time frame for them to be in this game? It's hard to answer because that's you know there's it's not a good answer. Like Hot beat, take. Give beat me an opinion. Will Muschamp as a head coach, <laughs> yeah. and then we can talk about Alabama. You know, like he's probably Will gonna Musch- lose his job last year, and he's like, no, 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 Tennessee. But, uh, I still got you. Will Muschamp is seven and zero as a head coach against Tennessee. That, that's crazy. insane. That is utterly ridiculous. And in my all mind. the crazy things happened for him to beat Tennessee. It's weird. Like it came down. Uh, I guess this was last year or two years ago. It came down to like the last play and Jarrett Garantano basically a two-point conversion attempt to win the game with the time expiring and just right through the hands of the receiver. And you're like, what? Now Will Muschamp survives again somehow. But So Tennessee's got a – I hate – it's a, such a cop-out answer. But Tennessee's got to beat South Carolina. they got a losing record against Missouri – since Missouri joined the SEC. Kelly Bryant, baby. Derek Dooley revenge game. I know, right? Uh, and Missouri scored 100 points combined over the last two years against Tennessee. Correct. So, if, all right, if I'm skipping over all that stuff, I, I got to give Pruitt at least, counting 2019, he needs to be like competitive where he's kind of scaring Bama a little bit in 2021. I just don't know how realistic it is it's not this year. I don't really think it is the following year. But year four for Pruitt, for Alabama to scare them. Now, that game would be in Tuscaloosa, so it's going to be tougher. But I think that's, you know, if you're trying to be realistic, that's probably it. That's what I would have said. I would have said two two years, not counting this one. So, they would have put them at 2021. The, the big thing I feel like UT has had a problem with is not only been incompetent coaching, but – and that that does not include Jeremy Pruitt, um, right? Yeah. But yeah, the we know who it is. Yeah, yeah he's now I, on the Bama staff. Yeah. smoking cigars, smoking cigars like Listen, a loser. Like, come I, no, on, no, no, not like a loser. Yes, you leave Butch Jones no. alone. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, he no. is my sacred cow. I wish that he would come back to Tennessee. I wish he would be the coach for the next hundred years, so I can t- could, could could continue. I can't even get the words out. I'm so emotional how much I miss Bush Jones. Uh, he needs to come back to Tennessee till the end of time. Great for content. Oh. I don't 
deny that. Oh know. my God! Like our brick business, brick. our business grew so much during the 2017 brick debacle. Brick, bury me. It was amazing, but oh. if you look at it on a personal level, Butch Jones smoking a cigar after <laughs> beating <laughs> so gross. his own players like 45 to 10 in the stadium. Thinking that was the right thing to do to pose for pictures. I, I have to agree. It was cool. skeevy. It was very skeevy. It was so gross. Just, because just red as the Bama jacket he was wearing. Yeah. He's the reason why that happened. Yes. And he doesn't even understand that or didn't in that moment. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know how self-aware Butch Jones is. No. Like, I don't want to plead ignorance on the part of Butch Jones, but he doesn't, after all the all the hell that that man went through in terms of, and and self-inflicted, like totally self-inflicted, the problems of Butch Jones. But he just never seemed to be able to figure it out. Like, I don't understand what the disconnect was there because we could all, we could all like see him. We were all staring through Butch Jones at the end. And he was just still, every day, champions of life, five-star hearts, brick by brick, eat it. I feel. I, I mean, it was great from, from the outside <laughs> looking great. in. It felt like it feels like every year y'all have this recruiting class with all these stars to come First in. First off, and don't, it, don't say y'all. Well, me. I, well, I mean the 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 team, the team, the team. I'm I'm a fan, so I say we. You can say yeah, but yeah. I mean, it seems like UT always has these recruiting classes that everybody seems to tout year in, year out, and then very few players from those recruiting classes ever live up to their potential. Like I still like I'm feel feel like I'm still waiting for Callaway to just take over games consistently where Alabama gets someone like Ruggs and Judy and all these guys and they just suddenly plug and play and they're going for a thousand yards and this and that and it seems like there's no consistent player that does that for well, for Tennessee. It's, it's because kind of what we talked about earlier, it's Tennessee can't block anybody. So you got to be able to block somebody for Marquez Callaway to be able to get the ball. And Bama just stacks. Like, you're talking about Tennessee getting high recruiting classes. I think it was the 12th ranked recruiting class on 24-7, which it was amazing for Pruitt to do that after a 5-7 and seven year. But that's 7th in the SEC. And so you're behind a bunch of other teams who yeah. are getting better players than you. And they probably had a top 10 class the year before and the year before that and the year before that. And so they've got like red shirt junior offensive linemen who've been starting for two years. And so now Bama has all the time in the world to get it to Judy, yeah. to get it to all these guys. And Tennessee has had like six offensive linemen retire in the last 18 months. Which is still so crazy. That's insane. And a lot of like Jack Jones, who's a Murfreesboro kid, was a really good player as a freshman and sophomore. Had a neck injury, can't play anymore. Trey Smith, like the top offensive lineman in the country, having blood clots. Like no, that's not ridiculous. just the top offensive lineman. He was the top prospect on ESPN. Yeah. So and that's just so unfortunate. And just like, are you kidding me with all this bad luck? Like, there's two really good players that would be playing right now that would be starting for sure. And they would have a lot of experience and NFL potential future. Yeah. And Tennessee just, on you know, crazy circumstances doesn't have either of those guys, really. Right. 
That's that's tough. I mean, like, it's, I it I, sounds it looks and sounds terrible. And it, without it just, the depth to be okay without it. Yeah. Like if Bama had something happen like that, like, all right. No, they're rolling three five lines. star. Yeah, but I, five I, star dude that just redshirted, come on down. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. And and but it reminds me of the post Gene Stallings area era. I was telling Buck about it. It's like when I was in pre preschool. Uh, back in the eighties, uh, uh, God, they, you're old. yeah. So uh, they they ask you, are you Alabama or Auburn? Right, and, w- right. and it was such a small town that you grow up with most of those kids, so you are stuck with what you choose. And I chose Alabama, and luckily we you had chose. The genes. Yeah, was so your family? Well, we no. My family was from Kentucky, okay, and we moved down to Florida, then moved up to Alabama. Or I was born in Florida, and then we moved up to okay. Alabama. So choose your side. So I became an Alabama fan That's at so and awful. at preschool. So. That was towards the end of the Gene Stallings era, right. and then after that, it was just a massacre. It was <laughs> it was so bad to be an Alabama fan like for the longest time. Alabama was down for a long. Oh my god! You, and, and it rem, UT reminds me so much of that. Well, and that's why. Who said that Tennessee would never be back? Who was who? Who was the columnist? There was somebody that. That wrote something recently. Oh, it was, it was just like a few months ago. SEC Media Days that said uh, definitively it, the guy from Bleacher, Bleacher Report. Report. Why can't I remember his name? Anyway, definitively wrote in Bleacher Report a column saying Tennessee would never be back. And like you look at Alabama, fifteen years ago before pre Saban, it yeah. was a disaster. I was in college and it was still a disaster. Yes. I mean you got to remember Saban uh, was, gosh. 06, 07 or something in Alabama. I mean, it was, it was the first year. Yeah, I was about to say it was so long ago. It's it's. Wait. I've had a lot of beers since then. So my <laughs> a, lot of, like, a lot of yeah. seltzers, right? Yeah, <laughs> seltzer. yeah. he's been uh, he's been half burping yeah, into his microphone this yeah. entire time. Wow. I mean, I've been on this seltzer kick for like a week, just having seltzers every night, just living. Yeah, I've I've <laughs> been on my this is my third weekend of uh, seltzer. So see, we'll podcasting see is more fun with friends and seltzer. Uh, yeah. Yes, but if I was gonna say, if you Google like Tennessee Alabama football rivalry and you just go to Wikipedia and you scroll down. Like decades and decades of the rivalry, it shows like crimson for the games that Bama won and yes. orange for the Tennessee wins. It's just chunks of runs. Yeah, it's like an NBA game. It's like okay, Tennessee wins seven, Bama wins six, Tennessee wins five, Bama wins nine, and it's just like all the way down where it's just crazy of how many runs teams each team goes on. And right now, it's what Bama on eleven, yeah. <laughs> twelve. I don't even know right now, but. Um, ever since Saban took over in 07. So I guess we're this year would be 12 if my live math is correct in my head. But Typically it, it, not. I've seen it work. Yeah, I know, right? It, it's, it's pretty wild in how that works. So I'm sure people in the 90s were talking after Bama was on suspension yeah. and Tennessee won seven in a row. Is this a rivalry? Oh, I don't know. And then right. it flips the other way. I just It's like one of those things like I think UT in Florida, even though Florida is – or Muschamp is seven and zero against against. I feel like that's a bigger rivalry for you guys. Just kind of like, I feel like right now, if I had to put put uh, UT in a, it'd be fourth, maybe fifth behind Bama. Ole Miss because Ole Miss has been a little bit competitive with Alabama here and there. So yeah. I don't know. So it, for Tennessee, if you're ranking the rivalries, I would say Florida's probably one. Oh, it has to be a number one. Right? Yeah, because, and we talked to Cole Kublik from the SEC Network, and we asked him to define what does it mean for Tennessee to be back. And he he said, well, that was a good interview. Check that out. (laughs) A to Z Sports, subscribe where you subscribe to this. 
And then, uh, but he said, in order for Tennessee to be back, the Tennessee-Florida game in September has to have national title implications. Because in the 90s, Fulmer Spurrier into the early 2000s, it's exactly what it was. And I think there were a total of three national championships in that time. Um, and then yeah, I think Tennessee and Tennessee botched an, a, an opportunity in 01, and Florida had a couple of those too. Um, so the Florida's number one, in my opinion, because of the Eastern Division. Then Georgia's probably second. Because Vanderbilt's won, what, five in the last seven, that's probably third. So now Bama's, I think, yeah. fourth. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, do you think as a UT fan um, this year, I mean, what are you guys ranked right now? Uh, Unranked. Yours. <laughs> I thought your guys were ranked. No, no like, ESPN put out that FPI that. Had oh, that's what it was. Which is weird thing. So like they're basically the FPI. They're basically projecting what they think you're going to be at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. before and, it starts. And, looking and it was what thirteenth or fifteenth. Fifteenth. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of it was like returning snap counts and things yeah. like that. It wasn't. It wasn't really. I didn't. I, I wasn't crazy about the way that they did the. Match. I mean, do you think fifteenth is where you end up, or do you? I think, think, and I've said this on our show A to Z Sports before that I think now. National media does that in like July to get clicks from Tennessee fans. That's yeah. a conspiracy theory. But no, if Tennessee that's goes, totally accurate. <laughs> it works. If Tennessee's seven that and five, don't. that's kind of my expectations. Yeah, uh, and that's a that's not counting a bowl game and whatever happens in that game. So if you improve by two wins in the regular season. I think you have to be pleased with that. I think you and, do too. I mean, I think that's reasonable expectations to have and not for your lose team. by twenty six points. Right, right. Because there were what was the stat, Buck? Like five other seven losses were by 20, 25 twenty five or, or more points. Yeah, it was it. Like I looked, I because I'm doing, I'm just trying to go back and watch the games from last season. So oh my god, why? Well, because like this is. Because he loves his job, and yeah. because <laughs> look at you, and and because nobody smells a fraud better than a college football fan. It's true, yeah. Nobody smells a fraud better than a college you gotta football be prepared. fan. So when I am out in front of these people, these I love you all, you lovely internet people that keep me alive. I appreciate you, rate, review, and subscribe. But you are going to feast upon me if I don't know my ball stuff. So I'm rewatching last season to try and catch up with what I need to know about Jeremy Pruitt, and I'm watching these games, and I'm like just. The, the the lack of competitiveness in so many of these games, it, you know, I don't know Jeremy Pruitt from any other head coach X. I've never, I've never been to Knoxville. I've never covered him in person. But I look at that and I'm thinking, what what is the disconnect here? What well, am I missing? And then he says that because of the way that he was, you know, not delegating correctly yeah. in his first year as, as a head coach... He wasn't creating the personal relationships with the players, which is why what makes him so popular at Alabama. And so it starts to make sense. And so you look at it and you say, okay, you got to give this guy runway in the same way that you gave Stoops runway at Kentucky. Like that man won 10 games at Kentucky and Kentucky fans, whatever happens to Mark Stoops, if he does it again, he's probably out because somebody else is going to hire him. But you, you have to be grateful for the job that he did there. I think Jeremy Pruitt is capable of somebody who Tennessee fans end up being grateful for, right. but maybe not necessarily puts them over the top. Yeah. And I think in some of those blowout losses, is uh, the Georgia one comes to mind because that game was fairly close early on. 
Uh, I think it was like a 12-point game, and Tennessee had the ball in like early fourth quarter, like right. kind of like, ooh, whoa, what's going on here? And, and then, of course, you know. Just George, enough George to is, sniff hope. Yeah, yeah, and then you're just like, here, crushed. All your hope, <laughs> gone. Uh, and 26-point loss again. <laughs> this is the fourth one. Uh, yeah, in far off weeks. So. <laughs> but then it's like the game against Charlotte, 14-3. Oh, my God. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I just wasted four hours because there's so many damn commercials of watching this awful game. Future Titan Nate Davis doing a good job. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because UT fans, Tennessee Titans fans, had a really emotional roller coaster ride of a season from two sports. I mean, yeah. you're getting, you're winning games 14 to 3 that you should be blowing them out. Right. Then you're getting blown out. And then here comes Tennessee Titans. They have a seven-hour game week one. They lose to Buffalo, a, you know, a 12-11 sack game, 21-0 zip loss to the Ravens. And then they win, beat the Patriots, beat the Eagles. And it's just like – That's football. I, I feel man. bad. Yeah, I feel the, bad for Tennessee people last year in, in the 2018 football season. I, I really do. Because, I mean, at least I had hope with Alabama I could, like – well, I don't have to worry about Alabama you losing. You can relax on Yeah, Saturdays. I can relax on Saturdays. But on if, if I was a Tennessee fan, Saturday and Sundays, that'd be a miserable weekend some I'll weekends. say this. The CBS intro music on Saturday College Football gives me anxiety. Like, I, <laughs> you I, I hear PTSD. it and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Just because every time I hear that I'm ex- and Tennessee's on it, it's either the Bama game, the Georgia game. Or the Florida game, and it doesn't end well. Just break yeah. out in a cold sweat yeah. anytime you hear not. Dun, not. Da, da, da. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's bad. That's outstanding. Do you feel like we found common ground here tonight? I think so. Yeah. I think it was a very. Uh, made uh, unlike what happens on A to Z, there was no yelling uh, from this <laughs> well, Zach. It's because you can't take him anywhere. Like, <laughs> I love Zach to death. He is a genuinely good human, even though he looks like a psychopath and often is a psychopath. I cannot live the way that I Zach thought, oh, yeah, look, I thought I, about interrupting. I have to take a lot of blame in this too because I poke him. We were on the we were at Titans practice last week, <laughs> but and me and I don't even know what we were talking about. You're just you're just yammering. But at we each just other. start arguing, and Buck and Mickey Ryan are just standing there, and Mickey's like, "Oh, so this is yeah," and Buck's it's, like, "Yeah," and that we we're just yapping. It's totally genuine, and it's it's <laughs> inexhaustible, and it's constant. And I love them both, but they're, it's, I can't, I can't live. I, th- I thought That's about, why I'm a solo act. I can't. <laughs> I thought about yelling and interrupting Austin numerous times just to do it like Zach would. And then, and then going, that is incorrect. Yeah. And then just, go, and then just going, but Austin, Austin. Austin, listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> because that's that's when he gets really high and like and, and he's like full of rage. And then and then when you he feels like he's got the uh, audience yeah. on his side, yeah, he's like yeah. Austin, Austin. There's not much better feeling than when you have the live audience on your side and against Zach, and yeah. he and he probably feels the same way. Oh no, it's the power of the people. It's the power of the mob. Oh yeah, it's we all fun. live for the power of the mob. Ain't as he out here <laughs> signing autographs with the mob. At the Titan scrimmage. All right, we got to get the hell out of here. I got more work I got to do. <laughs> and you guys have been too generous with your time. This is what the new 615 sessions is going to look like. It's going to be my friends hanging out. We're going to talk about the things that you care about and still do interesting interviews in between. Because uh, I think this is a more fun way to do the podcast. And if I'm having more fun, then you all are having more fun. So, Zebo, Football and Other F-Words Podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe at F-Words Pod 
on Twitter. There's a Patreon. There's a newsletter that apparently isn't working, but God help you. <laughs> we will give you the 615 Sessions bump. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me all your clout. <laughs> I exist to give out clout. Austin Stanley, A to Z Sports weekdays, 8 a.m. is where you can find them. Live streaming, Facebook, Periscope, next to our possibly cocained out compadre, Zach Bingham. Thank you. Oh, of course. Of course. Glad to be here. All right. That being said, I'm Buck Rising. Stay hot, Nashville. We will talk to you on Thursday. Titans left tackle for now. Dennis Kelly will be the guest. Uh, And we will speak to you then. Thank you.